This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlling transmission. Sleek Geeks, Dr. Carl, and Adam Spencer. Hey, welcome to the Sleek Geeks podcast with Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl. How are you today, Carl? Ever so. Even more pitchy clean than last time. Now, this is an international phenomenon, the Sleek Geeks. Hello to us wherever you're listening around the world. But in Australia at the moment, our home, it's summer. It's I'm going to dedicate the podcast today. is brought to us by the number 33,000. 33,000? And I'll tell you why. Why? Summertime and the living is easy. Fisher jumping, dot, dot, dot. George Gershwin. Yep. Porgy and Bess. 1935, one of the most covered songs of all time. Ah. Estimated that 33,000 plus different versions of Gershwin's Summertime have been recorded. Wow. 33,000. Thought by many to be one one of, if not the greatest song in the history of musical theatre. Now, did the one person write the music and the words? From what I understand, Gershwin wrote the aria using the lyrics written by the person who wrote Porgy. Ah, Porgy which I think I think, I think Porgy is the novel on which Porgy and oh, Bess... Really? Is that person's name Dubose Hayward? I'm guessing. Oh, no idea. No I'm idea. guessing there. Right. Hit me on Sleek Geeks if you know the details of who wrote Porgy and Bess, but I think... Gershwin created an aria out of the lyrics written by another person from the novel Porgy, mm. which was adapted as Porgy and Bess the musical. I think that's oh. what I don't really, I don't, I, musical theatre, no disrespect to people who like musical theatre. Between you and I, it's just one of those, I, I would never in my life, the universe is not estimated to last long enough mm. in an inhabitable form on planet Earth that I would ever say to my wife, wonder what's on at the lyric theatre. Tonight, let's go and watch a musical. Ah. Just not my bag at all, musical theatre. Ah, well, it turns out that my great-great-great-great-aunt made Madame Butterfly possible. Yes, 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 yes. Let's let's quickly, quickly, quickly tell our Sleek Geek podcasters that story. Puccini wrote the opera. Big flop. Um, then he holed up in a hotel room with my great-great-great-great-aunt Salomea Krushelnitska, ending with an A because she's female, rewrote it for her voice, couldn't get into La Scala, performed at a lesser theatre. All the critics turned up with their knives ready to stab into his back. Mm. It was a great success. That's my brief claim to fame. There you go. That's awesome. Well. Anyway, 33,000 plus versions wow. of summertime when the living is easy. But in Australia in the summertime, it often gets quite hot. We even occasionally have... Heat waves. Let's talk heat waves, Carl. Mm. What is a heat wave? It all basically, the definition of heat wave all comes down to mathematics, doesn't it? Yeah, so basically if on that day that you're considering hot, is the temperature five degrees hotter than the average maximum for that day, for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. So then you go back to the record, add up the number of maximum temperatures, divide by 30. Okay, does it then repeat that for the next five days? If it does, then that counts as a heat wave under one of the several definitions, where it's five degrees above the maximum for four or five days. There's different definitions around the world. That's close enough. Okay, so call a day hot mm. if it's five degrees above average. And if you have five hot Days in a row, mm. you've got a heat wave. So you, 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 you can you in, strictly then you could have a heat wave in winter if it's normally say fourteen degrees Celsius where you live, mm. and it's twenty degrees Celsius for five days in a row. 
strictly that's a heat wave, even though none of those days are particularly warm on an annual basis? Sure. So um, somebody from the Middle East could go down to Tasmania where everybody's saying, God, it's hot, and they're saying, give me a jumper, I'm freezing, because they haven't acclimatised <laughs> yet. And the other side of the coin is when you get athletes deliberately going to somewhere like Darwin, they find that it takes them some period of time to acclimatise to the heat, and then they start sweating more, and then after, I, th- I think it's a couple of months that they can adapt. Okay, so what causes meteorologically... What causes a heat wave to happen? Why would you have extended periods well above the typical average temperature? Well, if you watch the weather, and why is BOM, B-O-M, the most popular website in Australia, practically, the Bureau of Meteorology? People love it. It's a great little website. You can look at the radar, you can see it coming. Yeah, so you can see these high-pressure and low-pressure systems moving. What's a high-pressure system and what's a low-pressure system? System Average air pressure is about 101 hectopascals or cubic furlongs per square second cubed for our American friends who are still in the imperial system. Mm. Although I did find that on uh, weed maps, which lets you get medical marijuana around America, sure. in Las Vegas, they have finally moved over to selling legal marijuana in grams. That's a, a, a tangent. Moving an interesting, right back, an interesting right, tangent. Yeah, the, the Americans are coming to light. So moving back to the um, high-pressure system, if it's above that average, it's a high-pressure high system. If it's below uh, 101, if it's, say, 980 or some, or, or 98, then it's a low-pressure system. Yeah, so you should that, – that, that's 1,001, not, Sorry, a, not 101. Okay, yep. yeah. so you've got your, your, your hectopascals or your barometric pressure mm. and above average or below average. Okay, so if you've got air where the pressure is on average – lower, Mm -hmm. and beside it, a body of air where the pressure is on average higher. Mm. How do those two cells interact? Um, They do weird things at the edges, but the basic things that they do is move. And the heat wave happens is when the high-pressure system ain't moving no more. Ah. It just sits there. It just stays stuck for days or even weeks. And sometimes you can have things happening such as the Russian heat wave, which killed 55,000 people, not 55, 55,000 people, was that there was a vis- vicious uh, hot, positive feedback loop between ultra-dry soil and unexpectedly powerful high-pressure systems in the lower atmosphere, which trapped the heat. And so the temperature at the beginning of the next day was the same as the afternoon of the previous day. So this, It just didn't moderate overnight. This is the essence of it, and this is what I'd love you to explain mm. to me. So if we do, if I'm living in, let's say, in Sydney, Australia at the moment, and there's a large cell of high-pressure air, there's a high-pressure system above me in the lower atmosphere, and it ain't going anywhere, Mm. you say it traps the heat. heat. So what heat comes out of the sun, hits the earth, Mm -hmm. bounces back up. Why does a high-pressure system trap that heat in? Don't know. Uh, We need to get a meteorologist. Um, But the essence is that it doesn't move away. Right. And it stays there. Holding the the heat in. It can't dissipate. And so you're trapped in that extended period of high heat. And it's okay for one day because it cools down overnight when you have the high-pressure system move on. If it doesn't move on, the house is hot overnight and people are sleeping in their bars and the next morning starts off as hot as the previous afternoon and it just gets worse. Which is why during a heat wave even though it's warmer during the day, it's often the fact that it only gets down to 22 or 23 at night Mm. for two or three nights in a row that really 
makes people a little bit irritable. Yeah. Uh, and you think about it, why is it so uncomfortable? Well, you're basically sleeping on a mattress, and a mattress is like this terrific insulator. So the front half of you is seeing air that's, at, say, 29 degrees C, but the back half of you has got this terrific insulator, and you can't get rid of your heat through this terrifically thick mattress, and so it's just so uncomfortable. But it's more than just discomfort for your average healthy person. As you were alluding to with heat waves, people die, and people die en masse. I read once that in those horrible bushfires in Australia a few years ago that killed more than 170 people, but significantly more people died from the heat wave associated with the bushfire than the horrible fires themselves. 173 died in the Black Sad Day of 2009 in Victoria, more than double from the heat wave. The people who died in the bush wave, dramatic, hit the newspapers. The people who died from the heat wave, the first hint was that there wasn't enough room in the morgue. All the stainless steel cubicles had filled up. And so suddenly they had to call out to the universities, the mortuaries, the funeral parlours, and anybody else who had a spare refrigerated place where you store a dead body, and they were just filling up. That was the first hint that people were dying in massive numbers from the heat wave. And this is a typical factor of heat waves, isn't it? They tend, heat wave deaths tend to be under reported and we almost just take them for granted. We almost don't notice. That's right. And you only find out by calling in your best friend, the statisticians. Yeah. Who work out the number of deaths that you'd expect over that period of time and then compare it with how many deaths you got over that heat wave. Because you can't just look at a person and say, there is the sign of a heat wave. You can pick the sign of a bullet death or of an axe murderer. Heat wave, much harder. And so in Paris... In 2003, some 15,000 died. 15,000? In Paris alone, just in Paris, out of the 70,000 in Europe. And that 70,000 was underreported because a few countries were not included. Overwhelmingly, these were elderly women living alone because the women have a longer life expectancy than men Mm -hmm. living alone. And in the upper levels, the cheaper levels of the walk-up apartments, what that meant was that there wasn't another apartment above them to act as a bit of an insulator, and they were living in apartments that are designed to keep the heat in in winter, not out in summer, and it's especially harmful, this excess heat, to the very young or the very old, and those with chronic diseases and mental illnesses, or being obese or malnourished or unfit and taking drugs both legal and illegal, combined with dehydration plus alcohol. So is that another factor there, that because, unfortunately, it's the you know frail, in inverted mm-hmm. commas, who tend to die, a, a, lot of the, a lot of those individual deaths, family members or friends might think, well... She was getting on a bit anyway. She was probably going to die sometime. So people don't even, again, associate it with the the heat wave Mm. because they're people more likely to just go to sleep one night and, not, and wake up. not wake up anyway. Yeah, and in fact, they were probably going to die on average in three years' time, except this heat wave knocked them over. But there's lots of frail people, not just the elderly. There's also the very young. As the climate continues to warm... Yeah, Not it, a controversial topic. That was proven back in 1988, over a quarter of a century ago, yes. Are uh, uh, heat waves becoming more prevalent? Unfortunately, yes. What you can do is look at the surface area of the planet that is affected by this so-called heat wave. In 1961, the surface area of the planet in any given calendar year that was affected by a heat wave was 1%. Mm-hmm. By the time you moved to 2010, a few years ago, 5%. 2002. 20, that's the end of this decade, 10%. 2040, 20%. In other words, before we get to the centre of this century, one-fifth of the planet will be hit by a heat wave in each calendar year. Okay, try and stay cool. Yes. What's up? Twitter time. 
I'll tell you what's up on Twitter. At Slate Geeks is our Twitter handle. You can follow our various commentaries on things and you can send questions you'd like Dr. Carl and myself to answer. The Sleek Geeks will answer your question if you send it to at Sleek Geeks. Use that handle it's called. Carl's to Twitter. Really? Handle. But isn't it a hashtag? How can you call that a handle? No, you can hashtag. You're going to hashtag Sleek Geeks or you can mention the handle at Sleek Geeks in your tweet. Either way, we'll see it. Why don't you call it ampersand? Uh, you're freaking me out. Gotcha. Strovey asks Strovey? a question. Mm-hmm. Now, I presume Strovey is actually someone whose name is Strove. And almost certainly Australian, following the habit of adding a vowel at the end. Good on you, Strovey. Love your work. Uh, Adam, Dr. Carl, where do colours go when you leave a colourful plastic thing in the sun ah. for too long. What a great question. You leave a cheap plastic toy in the backyard. Let's say it's a bright yellow rubber duck. Mm. And after a while, that colour will fade and it'll just become a sort of generic blank plastic. Baby. Where's the yellow gone? Ah, well, we'll take the easy example. Firstly, there are 12, at least, causes of colour, but let's just pick the easy one, which is the dye. So, yeah. Yes, now we've talked about this before in Sleek Geeks. Yeah. There's all different sorts of things like bioluminescence and all sorts of and, things. And, and, and diffraction and interference and the colours in an oil droplet on a rainy road. But the most basic form of colour is the colour, why is your shirt red? Because there's a red dye in oh, it. Why was that yellow duck yellow? There was a yellow colouring in it. How does mm-hmm. that work? So all the colours of the rainbow fall upon it and only yellow gets reflected. Okay. All the other ones get absorbed. Okay, so let's so sunlight as it, that stream of photons mm-hmm. coming from the sun and hitting the rubber duck, they contain all the wavelengths of visible light? All the way from Roy G. Biv, Roy up to V. So red through to violet. So mm-hmm. all the colours of the rainbow hit that duck. Yep. Why does only the yellow bounce back and then onto my eye? Because with the yellow dye, we have tuned it in such a way that when the yellow light hits it, electrons get in that yellow molecule, the, the, the colour molecule, the actual, everything's made of atoms. The actual molecule it is made of atoms, and in the atoms there are electrons, and the electrons get pumped up to a higher level and then fall down. And when they fall down, they shove yellow light out in all directions, some of which lands in your eyes. In the other molecules, in all of the other colours, all that happens is they get absorbed and get turned into heat. They vanish into the material and they appear as heat energy. Oh, okay. So the the yellow duck doesn't just reflect yellow back for me to see. Mm. It also effectively sucks in all the other colours Mm -hmm. so that I don't see them and they are transferred from photon waves into heat inside me. They go to the lowest form of heat. You can look upon them as some sort of internal revenue tax department. Yeah, okay. Come on in, you ain't getting out. Okay, so if we leave the the rubber duck out in the backyard, it gets warmer Mm -hmm. and that's because it's sucking in all the other wavelengths, all the other colours, all that energy. That's right. You can prove that by excluding the infrared and then letting only the Roy G. Biv colours land on it because there is also infrared energy yes. comes from the sun. But if you did that, you would find that would be the case. Exactly correct, Dr. Adam. Okay. Over time, mm-hmm. as that yellow duck lies in the sun, I don't see it as yellow anymore. Yeah, you said it fades to like a beige or something like that. Mm. So what has happened to that once yellow duck that when the same sunlight hits it, I don't see yellow no more. The uh, yellow 
dye molecule breaks down. Continual ups and downs of the electrons in the outer layers of that molecule eventually cease. We're not too sure why. There'll be somebody who's written a paper on it, but the Mm. bottom line is that the yellow dye molecules break down. They're no longer there. They'll absorb the energy but turn into heat, not into something radiated out as a yellow colour for your eyeball. And so gradually the yellowness fades away. It turns out that red things fade worst of all. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the fact that blue light has the highest energy. There's a famous formula that the energy is equal to the fourth power of the frequency, blah, 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 blah. So blue light has more energy. And if you go beyond blue, you go into violet and ultraviolet. And ultraviolet, you're just at the first point in the electromagnetic spectrum where you've got enough energy to start causing damage to skin and skin cancers. Shine red light onto your skin, no worries. Shine blue light, you've got problems. You're a little, sorry, shine ultraviolet light, you've got problems. So when you're shining light onto something that's red, what it's absorbing is blue. It's absorbing the most energetic photons. And these then damage the molecules. The red breaks down quickest because it's absorbing most of the high-energy blue photons. That's it. That, that's it in one. The red breaks down the fastest because it's not emitting and throwing away and not being affected by the blue. Instead, it's doing the exact opposite. It's sucking in the blue, not knowing that the blue has the highest energy and will destroy it ultimately. And whereas my blue shirt is mm. giving off the blue, it's sucking in the red, etc., yes. lower energy, so the bouncing around of the electrons and all that, that process is broken down slower because there's less red-coloured energy that it's sucking yeah, in. Yeah, the energy ah! level in red is less. And so when you look at ancient paintings going back 10, 15, 20 years of pubs, you'll see that they've always faded down to a sort of a bluish end of the spectrum. The, the chemicals that reflect the blue survive the longest because they're not absorbing the high-energy blue. They're reflecting it. Go away, blue. I don't want to see you. I don't want to absorb you. They send it back. Where That's why red uh, paint fades fastest. There you go, Stroby. Hope that answered your question. Well, it did answer your question, whether you he hoped or otherwise. Yeah, I hope we weren't too confusing. It's a difficult topic. I understood it, so I think it must have been pretty straightforward. Thanks, Stroby. Thank you, Stroby. Dr. Carl, on the topic of mm-hmm. colour and energy and heat waves, the sun, how awesome is the sun? 600 million tonnes of hydrogen ah. is burnt every second. Not every, not 600 tonnes, 620 million tonnes a second. 620 million tonnes. It's awesome. And it's so big that in its life up till now, it has lost only a couple of hundred thousand times the mass of the Earth, and it's got a couple of million to go. It's not. The sun is still going to be there in five, mil, five billion years when it starts expanding and swallows up the inner planets. Bummer. Hmm. Well, we won't be around Well, it's not impossible. Immortality is not impossible. That's another story for another time. It is indeed. Tell me a few things people might not know about the sun. Give me some cool sun facts. It rains on the sun. What? The droplets of rain on the sun are the size of countries like Ireland and they fall from a height of 60,000 kilometres. You know our droplets are about a few millimetres across? Mm. Think of droplets the size of countries. So the plasma comes up, cools down and falls down as huge country-sized droplets. Droplets of what? Cooler plasma. Cooler. Plasma is atoms which have the electrons ripped off and they fall as these giant rafts of great heights. I'll take that. I didn't know it rained on the sun. Tell me something else I didn't know about the sun. It has long-lost siblings, one of which was recently discovered. Our sun. Our sun. So stars are born 
in what's called a stellar nursery, where you mm-hmm. have these big clouds of gas and dust, which then condense down. Well, these stellar nurseries are huge, and there's probably a hundred of siblings of our sun, and we've just found one a couple of hundred light years off in another direction. And by looking at its spectral makeup, it's made of the same sort of stuff as our sun is. And so that's one of our long lost brothers and sisters. And I hope that one year, when we become a space going race, we'll get to go out there and see it. There's a famous photo of a star nursery. It's just sort of candles, these fingers. And at the tip of that finger there, that little, that little bright point we can see there, that's a star about to be born. Mm. When you say our, our sun was formed in a, st- a star nursery with this other distant sun we've just detected, were they formed very close together and then got driven apart or yeah, were they... Yeah, they got driven apart. So that famous photo of the stellar fingers. Yes. So a whole bunch of stars are beginning to form. They're sucking stuff from the gas and dust around them and one lights up first and it then starts burning the 600 million tonnes every second and starts throwing out the stellar pressure in all directions, starts throwing out its exhaust fumes like a, a truck or a car has exhaust fumes and this blows away like a wind all of the gas and dust around it and the poor other stars that were forming, well, they're frozen at that stage. Whatever stage they were at, instead of, they're stuck there. Instead of being able to suck in gas and dust from all directions, all they've got is this tiny little finger extending behind them, and that's all that they can suck in. That's as big as they're going to get. But when you think about how far away this sister sun of ours is to our sun, that gives you some idea of the scope of the size of these solar nurseries. Mm. And it's going to be hard to travel and become a space-going race, but we have to do it. Things are so far apart. Tell me something else I don't know about the sun, Carl. Well, another thing about the sun is it's got a freaky calendar. On one hand, the equator is rotating once every 25 days. Hooray! And, of course, the pole is rotating once every 25 days. No, 27. So, because it's made of gas, Ah. different bits uh, spin at different rates. So, if I was living on the equator of the sun, Mm -hmm. a year as such, even though I'm spinning around myself, is 25 days. If I was standing on the north pole of the sun, or the pole of the sun, Mm. a year is 27 days. Yeah, I know. Bummer, bummer. Um, Also, it uh, breathes, it expands and contracts. It's got this 11-year cycle where it gives out more radiation and less and then more and then less. And every now and then it flips magnetic poles. So it does this breathing thing. I I have a theory that the sun is a living creature Mm -hmm. uh, and can communicate, but we can't talk to it in the same way that the bacteria on your skin can't have a meaningful conversation with you. When you say, I have a theory that the sun is a living creature, does anyone else share your... Theory? Uh, a few science fiction authors. That's it, about it. Keep going. Tell me something else we know about the sun, apart from it, your theories. It, it, it defies thermodynamics. Normally, the closer you are to the flame, the hotter it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the sun is really, really hot at the centre, you know, 1,500 million degrees, and then cools down to about 5,000 degrees at the surface, and then goes up to a couple of million degrees in the atmosphere. And how does it happen? Bunch of theories we don't know. So if you were floating above the sun, it's massively hotter than if you were standing on the sun's surface. Yes. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Millions of degrees instead of 5,000. Wow. Okay. Anything else for me on the sun? Last one, it's hard to get there. And you think, why don't you just fall down its gravitational field? Well, it's kind of like approaching a rather frisky bull on a hot day in Spain. We've all done that. Get too close, you might get burned. So we're learning how to get our technology up so that we can get close enough to the sun to do observations without having our spacecraft killed by the massive heat and radiation load. What My favourite fact about the sun, and you taught me this... I did? ...is that as, as a, a photon of light 
leaves the surface of the sun and comes down and, and on Earth, you know, hits the little yellow duck in my backyard and I see it as yellow or whatever. It took about eight minutes for that photon mm. to travel from the sun to the plastic duck in a backyard in Sydney on Earth. Mm. But that photon came about as a process inside the sun of a photon being created, emitted, hitting another hydrogen atom, being created, emitted, hitting another hydrogen atom, a new photon's created, emitted, hitting another hydrogen atom. That process for a photon to leave the surface of the sun, to get to the surface of the sun and leave, that's a chain of photons that took anything up to 100,000 Years? Isn't that astonishing? So it has to stutter its way to the surface, taking of the order of 100,000 years. Just bouncing off so many other particles in there. Now, strictly, it's not the photon that leaves and hits my duck is not the same photon that started off the process because it's absorbed, then re-emitted. But from when you flick the switch at the mm. centre of the sun and say, there's a photon, it's 100,000 years and eight minutes before that photon hits a duck, and the 100,000 years is spent on processes it's internal to the sun. You're on the Slate Geeks with Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl. We are controlling planets. We don't understand what's going on here. Slate Geeks.